Good Wednesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. <clears throat> Thank you kindly for joining us on a gorgeous Wednesday, Fall Wednesday. Fall is in the air. Um, allergies are in the air, certainly for yours truly. Please forgive the scratchy throat. Utilizing every, every remedy possible outside of the uh, <coughs> allergy injections that uh, our good buddy Keith Smith has been advocating for, but maybe heading in that direction. Lots to cover on today's program. Look at the screen for the headlines. Um, I thought we had a fantastic program with, I mean, yesterday's show, we had three guests, and all three guests were huge proponents of the work from home, work remotely and entirely movement. The guests on yesterday's program were Lily Walton, who is a C-suite officer. She's the chief people officer and general counsel for Silverchair. Silverchair is an information technology company that has over, I mean, easily over 100 employees. Dirk Peterson is a friend from Boar's Head Resort and from Squash. He's the vice president and co-founder of Insight 222. Insight 222 is an international company. I mean, they have an office in London, and they have staffers all over the world. It is literally an international company. And then the third guest, um, which I thought had very fantastic information, Caleb Nelson, a, bu a business intelligence engineer with Amazon, who works completely remotely as well. Show's archived on iloveseville.com. The show is archived wherever you get your podcasts. One item that came up on the show that left the panel somewhat, um, I don't want to say perplexed, but uncertain, was this question. The work from home movement, is it devastating downtown shopping, dining, entertainment, live music, happy hour districts, restaurant districts? A lot of hesitation with answering that question on yesterday's panel. I have data that I'm going to relay on today's show, and the data, you can find it online. Bloomberg um, today released information on the top work-from-home metro areas in 2022. I'm going to rattle off the top metro areas. I'm also going to explain why I don't think Charlottesville is going to crack that list anytime soon on today's program. On today's show, I want to highlight the um, Charlottesville Police Department in, for, in enforcing the curfew of Market Street Park. I say props, kudos, much love, big ups to Chief Cotchis and the Charlottesville Police Department for enforcing the, the Market Street Park curfew requirements. They are there for a reason. It should not be tent city. It should not be an area for houseless folks to... to call home or live night to night, day to day. I mean, the Market Street Park area is legitimately one of the first things students and tourists and locals and townspeople alike see when visiting downtown. The primary entry corridor for going downtown is right in front of our studio. It's down Market Street. You're, you're going Market Street to get to the downtown mall or you're going Water Street to get to the downtown mall. 
And if you catch a glimpse or a glimmer of Market Street Park right now, you see during the days, tents pitch left and right, individuals in, in drug or alcohol-induced dazes passed out on the grass, many with mental illness congregating in the park, lounging and or passed out in the park. And, and I asked the question, eventually the perception or the brand or the image of the park is going to spill into other aspects of downtown Charlottesville from a visitation standpoint, from a patronizing standpoint, and from a support standpoint. I want to unpack that on today's show. I also want to unpack on today's program the Dr. Meg Bryce, Allison Spillman statement that I made earlier this week. I stand by the statement. I think you're going to see the highest voter turnout in Albemarle County election history for a school board at-large race. The election is Tuesday, November 7th, so we're now one, two, three, four, five, six and a half weeks away. Early voting starts in less than 48 hours on Friday, September 22nd. The race, the actual in-person voting is done Tuesday, November 7th. Guys, this is right around the corner. You have, I would, I, you know, I'd have to dig deep on this, but I think Meg Bryce and Allison, Allison Spillman, the totality of their fundraising dollars combined is the most fundraising dollars for one respective race in Albemarle County election history. I would challenge a viewer and listener, and this would be a great question, not only for Deep Throat, this is a very good question for Neil Williamson if he's watching the program. Neil Williamson's the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. Support the Free Enterprise Forum. This guy is a stud, Neil Williamson. He constantly constantly is educating me, educating the community, and keeping us in the know about housing, about real estate, about the economy, about the small business, about taxes, about the government. Neil, I have a, I have a very authentic and sincere question for you. What race, Albemarle County specific, can you think of that has more fundraising dollars than what Meg Bryce and Allison Spillman have in totality. I'm on vpap.org right now. On vpap.org, Bryce has raised $67,083, and Spillman has raised $59,037. The cumulative combined total is $126,120 for this at-large race. $126,120 for one race in Albemarle County. Genuine question for you, Mr. Williamson, the king of content. What Albemarle County race in any level of history has raised $126,120? I cannot think of a single Board of Supervisors race in our history or a single school board race in our history that's raised that much money. I'm genuinely curious about that. A couple of days ago on Monday's show, we learned this. Bryson Spillman's combined total is equivalent to all the other Almaro County fundraising dollars and all the other Almaro County races combined. I want you to think about that. Every school board race, 
every Board of Supervisors race right now in Almore County, if you aggregate those fundraising dollars for all the races, it is a dead heat with what Spillman and Bryce have done in the at-large seat. So you're looking at arguably what is going to be, and I'm willing to bet money on this, that Bryce and Spillman will have the most votes in Almore County history for any race. You're probably looking at the most fundraising dollars for any race in Almore County history. Neil Williamson, I, am, I want to be corrected if that statement is incorrect, sir. Please let me know, sir. I do not think there is one. Also on today's show, I want to talk, uh, it's, it's time to have this conversation. I mean, my guy, Tony Elliott won three games last year. Tony Elliott's football team is, is they were picked to finish dead last in the Atlantic Coast Conference. They've played three nationally televised games against Tennessee, James Madison, and Maryland. And right now, UVA football's outscored, I'll tell you the total. Judah, write this number down if you could, please, sir. UVA opponents have 127 points. 127, and UVA itself has scored 62. 127 for opponents, 62 scored. Their opponents are 2xing their output on nationally televised ball games. That is not good for the UVA brand. Furthermore, I learned on the Jerry and Jerry show, our sports show that airs on Tuesdays at 10.15 in the morning, it's now presented by Stablecraft Brewing in Waynesboro. Stablecraft Brewing is a fantastic farm-to-table brewery in Waynesboro. Live music, events, fantastic beer and cider, Stablecraft Brewing, the presenting sponsor of the Jerry and Jerry show. I learned from that program from Hootie Ratcliffe, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, that the University of Virginia is losing over a million dollars, one million dollars per home football game. I think it's legitimately time with NC State and Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I, the former offensive coordinator for UVA, Brennan Armstrong, the former quarterback for UVA, both have headed to Raleigh where they're now ahead of the offense, Robert and I, and Brennan Armstrong, the lefty southpaw quarterback leading the offense on the football field. They come to Scott Stadium on Friday night with a 7.30 kickoff. A 7.30 kickoff on ESPN. This could get ugly very quickly. I hope to God Virginia wins. I bleed orange and blue. I went to UVA. I hope to God UVA wins because I'm a Wahoo fan and I'm a fan of Charlottesville and Almoral County and I realize the significance of what this does. A successful football team for our local economies. But Vegas has NC State as a nine and a half point favorite. If this team falls to 0-4 with four games on national televisions to start the season, how hot is Tony Elliott's seat? That's a fair question, viewers and listeners. What are your thoughts? Put your comments in the feed. I will relay them live on air. Another topic on today's program, I want to talk about the High Street Corridor. That road between the downtown mall and Freebridge. Very important corridor in Charlottesville City. I've said on this program a number of times, High Street is probably the most underachieving, underappreciated, undervalued corridor in the entire city. I think you could put Cherry Avenue on there. I think you might be able to put Harris on there. Harris could be way better than it is. Cherry Avenue could be way better than it is. But High Street is critical. It connects Eastern Almoral County. It connects Fluvanna County. 
It connects much of eastern central Virginia to the epicenter of employment. Tens of thousands of cars are going down High Street every day to get to the downtown mall or to get home. This road is an utter piece of crap. And I've said for so long that it is underappreciated, undervalued, underachieving, underperforming. It's worsened. It has gotten worse. I'll talk about that on today's show. And I'll also ask this question on today's show. What would you do with the Wild Wing Cafe building if you had a bag of money and Alan Kajin, the landlord of the building, was willing to uh, rent the building to you? What would you do with the Wild Wing Cafe building? Let's weave Judah Wickhauer in with the two-shot. I want this show to be extremely dynamic with viewers and listeners. We're going to get to Deep Throat. We're going to get to what I see as 17 different comments right now in the first 16 minutes of the show. I encourage you to like and share the program. And Judah, we give some props to David Trecarici of Scuba mm-hmm. Boutique Dispensary. David Trecarici of Scuba Boutique Dispensary are doing it the right way, the above board way, with certificates of analyses for everything in the store, Scuma Boutique Dispensary. I, I'm going to ask you, I know this isn't your bellywick, bailiwick, bailiwick, but you watch and listen to the program and your opinion is valued in this community. You think government figures out upzoning before December 31st, 2023? Keith Smith and I have a bet. He says the draft zoning ordinance and upzoning will be approved before December 31st, before New Year's Day. Before the clock strikes New Year's Day of 2024. I say not a chance in H-E double hockey sticks that is going to happen. Do you have a dog in the fight here, J-Dubs? I do not have a dog in the fight, but I think uh, I'm, if I had to guess, I feel like you're probably right. And why do you think? Uh, you've made some convincing arguments. I think Michael Payne is dragging this on. I think Michael Payne realizes the value proposition of Natalie Osherin on council versus Leah Perrier. I think Leah Perrier is 100% cooled completely on elements of the DZO. I think Lloyd Snook is working behind the scenes to try to get to three, a majority on council, so he can poo-poo some of these elements of the draft zoning ordinance. I think Payne, if he can slow this process and get Ashran on council, then he's got two slam dunk votes and he can persuade. There goes Hall Spencer, reporter of the Daily Progress, walking by. If Payne gets Ashran, he could persuade Juan Diego Wade to push, push this through in almost its totality. I think I'm going to win this bet. I also think DZO champions like Rory Stolzenberg. Rory Stolzenberg listens to the show. Had a conversation with him the other day. DZO advocates like Lyle Sola Yates also realize the value proposition of Natalie Ostrand getting on council and this getting pushed through in its totality with Ostrand on the dais and Leah Perrier, the interim city councilor, off the dais. 
this entire process has been a communication poop show. And it's now crescendoing with what was a very visceral, very volatile, vigorously attended meeting a handful of days ago with clearly those in attendance split in favor and against. I don't think this happens before December 31st. Time will tell. We have a bottle of bourbon on it. John Blair on LinkedIn. Jerry, I believe the Robert Tracy, Jim Hingley, Commonwealth's attorney election in 2019 may have seen as much money raised as the current school board at-large election race. Hopefully, Neil Williamson can offer some insight. John Blair is a smart man. He would not leave that comment unless he knows it to be true. I'm going to go James Hingley on VPAP. He listens to the show, the Commonwealth's attorney of Almaro County. Some would say the top cop in Almaro County. There's James Hingley. I'm going to see if I can find, I'm literally doing this on the fly. The total. In fact, this might be too difficult to do on the fly. Robert Tracy. Let me see if I can search by Robert Tracy. Tracy for Almaro County, Commonwealth's attorney. Here we go. <coughs> Robert Tracy, 2019. Robert Tracy, 2019. All right, this is going to be tough for me to do on the fly. Someone go to vpap.org and see if you can get the grand total of Jim Hinchley against Robert Tracy for the Commonwealth's attorney, Almoral County seat in 2019. What was the grand total fundraising dollars for both? Jason Howard on Rio Road. We'll get to your comment on the Wild Wing Cafe space. Carol Thorpe, welcome to the program. Scott Thorpe. We'll get to your comment. TV stations and newspapers watching the program as we speak. I would love if someone was able to peruse for me vpap.org on the Hingley, Robert Tracy, Commonwealth's attorney race from 2019 and what their grand total was. Warrior AG sends out a did you know flyer that's being mailed out. Wow. Go to Twitter. My Twitter, Warrior AG, my friend, you leave comments, we watch them. My Twitter, under the show stream, he's responding to the show stream, Judah. Get the flyer that uh, Warrior AG just tweeted to us, and I want to put it on screen. There's direct mail, there's flyers being posted and direct mail being sent. It's an anti Dr. Meg Bryce campaign. One of the copy points on this flyer, I will read it out loud. Let's see if Judah can get the visual. This is what you would do to get it, Judah. You go to Twitter, you look for the show stream, and look for tweets under the show stream, one from Warrior AG. The copy on this flyer and this direct mail campaign that's running, wow, this direct mail campaign is straight out of the Amy Lawfer book. And, and I guess why wouldn't you copy what Amy Lawford did for, for delegate? Amy Lawford kicked the, the, the you-know-what out of the emergency room nurse, Kellen Squire. 
She caught heat on Twitter, Amy Lawfer, the one-time chair of the Albemarle Democratic Party, for doing a, an aggressive direct mail campaign against Callan Squire, the emergency room nurse, and what he has said on the pa- in the past about uh, women's rights when it comes to abortion. Charlottesville Twitter attacked Lawfer, but Lawfer beat Squire like a drum. And guess what? Spillman, Cree Deeds, and Amy Lawfer are now campaigning together and doing neighborhood meet and greets where they are a unit and doing meet and greets with parents and neighborhoods all over Albemarle. On this direct mail campaign and on this flyer, the words are this. Judah will show it on screen in a matter of moments. Here are the words. Did you know Allison is running against conservative political activist Meg Scalia Bryce, who has attended meetings with extreme right-wing groups who seek to infiltrate school boards, censor teachers, ban books, and politicize education? Meg removed her children from our public schools before running for the school board. And then they give sources. They're literally sourcing Facebook. Uh and the Crozet Gazette, and two other sources. Ah, the direct mail aggressive mudslinging has started. Ginny Hu responds to Warrior AG's flyer tweet and says, by infiltrate school boards, they mean the DEI crowd will no longer have a monopoly running our schools. And Ginny Hu says they are such hypocrites. I'm going to respond to both. Ginny and Warrior AG, AG, duh, and let them know that I read their comments live on air. I checked Twitter first. I mentioned this live on air. Judah, let me know when you have the uh, flyer that you can put on screen. This is the law for playbook. Oh, dude, he sent the full. This one's the one you want. Did you see the full one? I'm getting it up now. Judah, Wick Cower, our enterprising director making moves. Deep Throat's jumping in on Twitter. Facebook, I'm coming to you next. Damn. John Blair, you're 100% right, Johnny Blair. JB, you still watching the program right now? John Blair? 100% right, JB. This is from Deep Throat. Love when John Blair watches the show. John Blair, if you were here, I'd give you a flying chest bump right now, dude. Deep Throat says, Robert Tracy and Jim Hengley in 2019 raised a combined $400,000. $150,000 for Tracy, $250,000 for Hingley in 2019 in the Almoral Commonwealth's attorney's race. Although Deep Throat did some VPAP investigation, 40%-ish of Jim Hingley's contributions came from, Judah, who'd they come from? Sonia. There it is. Even Judah. Judah. Sonia Smith. Sonia Smith kept 40% of the $250,000 from political rainmaker and kingmaker Sonia Smith. Sonia Smith is the top contributor to Allison Spillman. When I say that Sonia Smith crowns candidates in races in the Commonwealth, I am being accurate and factual. Accurate and factual. John Blair, I'm responding to your comment. Bingo. You were exactly right. Thank you, JB. You got the flyer on screen? 
I do now. Judah Wickhauer's got the direct mail flyer on screen for the Spillman, Bryce, mudslinging that is now hitting mailboxes, snail mail across Albemarle County, and is being posted on windshields of vehicles under windshield wipers. You will see this on your car. You will see this in your mailbox. Deep Throat adds this from the flyers. In regards to the Bryce mailer, would you feel comfortable leaving your kids in public school at the same time you were challenging the school establishment? You are not obligated to give your opponents literal hostages from your family. It's an interesting take right there. Did you hear what he said? No, not really. Um, let me see. Would you feel comfortable leaving your four children in public schools at the same time you were challenging the establishment? You are not obligated to give your opponents literal hostages from your family. Hmm. Interesting. Another counter narrative to that is there's plenty of school board members with children not in schools. Or members without children. Or members without children. Well, actually, I don't know if they don't have children, but yeah. There may be some who... Graham Page doesn't have kids in schools, and all caros are long gone. <clears throat> right. Katie Pearl. Katie Pearl says, I believe Jim Hingley is an Allison Spillman supporter. You can confirm that on vpap.org if you can for us, KP, uh, KTP. In fact, I could probably confirm that right now. I love the vpap.org website. The vpap.org website is... I'm on the, probably at the vpap.org website every day. Now, I host a talk show, and I love data, so that's probably one of the reasons I'm on him. Um, see if I can find it. Slide in. And Jim Hinchley's a friend of the program. I'm not throwing shade on Hinchley. He's a friend of the program. He's come on the show. I think he's done a good job with, as the Almore County, Almore County Commonwealth's attorney. Kate Sharks, Queen of Ivy, I did not think the school board was a political position. She also says, clearly it is a political position. KTP says, when I checked vpap.org v, uh, a few days ago, I'm almost confident I saw his name as a campaign donor. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Mr. Hinchley supporting the candidate that he wants to see win. I will say this. And I'm going to give you insider information here. Are we on a two-shot? Yep. I want you to hear this from me too, Judah. I'll give you straight-up insider information. I don't think I've ever said what I'm about to say on this talk show before. Now I'm choosing my words carefully and wondering if I should go down this road. Ah, should I go down this road? What could be the collateral damage of me going down this road. All right. Duck it. Quack, quack, quack. Duck it. You heard it with a D, not an F. Duck it. I'm going to go down this road. I gave extremely serious consideration to running for Albemarle County Board of Supervisors, Scottsville District. Many of you viewers and listeners know this. I pulled out of the race because our youngest son, who's 10 months old now, he did not sleep for the first seven months of his life, and it created extreme friction in our household, and it, it created a very, it was just tough, man. And it wasn't fair for me not to be home 
campaigning when our baby boy was not sleeping. It was not fair to my wife, who is carrying the load for our family with our boys and our entire house. She's carrying the load. And I would have been gone even more at a time when she wasn't sleeping, I wasn't sleeping, and it was just not the right timing. Before I pulled out of the Admiral County Board of Supervisors race in the Scottsville District, a race that I'm a thousand percent confident I would have won, Mike Pruitt is the lone candidate right now. He's new to the area. He has an extremely progressive ideology that is not going to jive with the town of Scottsville nor Glenmore, two of the three key voting blocks, the third being the Mill Creek area. He is never really had a, has never had a job in the private sector. He's a military serviceman and then went straight into law school. He literally is a law school student. Then I have the influence of this platform. I would have won in convincing fashion. In the process of running for this race, I sat in meetings with the Albemarle County Republican Party, John Lowry, the chairman, their election committee, meetings where Meg was in, meetings... Steve Harvey was in, meetings school board candidates, past and present, were in, supervisor candidates, past and present, were in, the strategy that was going to be employed and deployed was yours truly running as an independent, which that's my ideology. I am small government guy, stay out of my business. Fiscally conservative, socially liberal. That's who I am. Fiscally conservative, socially liberal. The Admiral County Republican Party backed my approach, and they saw a guy that was going to potentially win this race by a landslide, and they said, we are not going to run a candidate that has an R next to his or her name for the Scottsville Board of Supervisors seat. We're going to put our entire backing behind what Jerry Miller is doing and his independent push for Scottsville District and Almoro County. They were not going to splinter or split the vote. And they were going to back and endorse everything that I was going to do. And in the process of sitting in these meetings with how these parties work, and I'm giving you some real inside information here, how these parties work, this is effing inside information, is a handful of people less than 10, less than 8, less than 7 are picking and choosing who's going to run for these spots. Sometimes less than 5 are picking and choosing who's running for these spots. You have an Albemarle County budget well over $500 million a year. A school board budget that's right around $240 million a year, $250 million a year. And less than seven people are determining who's running for these spots. And inside information, that's Roger Mason Jr. right there, former UVA basketball star walking by. Inside information for you, ladies and gentlemen. This is what I'm really choosing carefully. I think the... Albemarle County Republican Party has 
good intentions of trying to get candidates elected, but their proof of performance and their strategy for victory is one based in yesteryear and not current year. The five to seven individuals choosing these candidates and creating the foundation for these campaigns are boomers that are not 100% up to speed in today's digital environment. That's all I'm going to say on that. And I know those five to seven people are going to hear what I just said. And everything I said is factually correct. Factually correct. And I don't regret saying it. Now we know that Meg Bryce and Allison Spillman, as of right now, have the second most fundraising dollars accumulated for one race in Almoral County history. Because of Deep Throat's due diligence on VPAP.org, $400,000 was raised for the Almoral Commonwealth's attorney race with Jim Hingley and Robert Tracy. Now Jim Hingley, who listens to this show, perhaps even listening right now, is a two-term Commonwealth's attorney starting on January 1, 2024. He'll be in his second term. Man, the show is blowing up right now. The show is, the show, this show, viewers and listeners, over the course of the last four to five months, has gone to a different echelon in influence and reach and viewership and listenership. And it's because <coughs> Judah Wickhauer, are you still on a want two shot? Yeah. It's because you and I made a commitment to each other and a commitment to our viewers and listeners to cut through the BS, right? Sure. We made a commitment to the viewers and listeners to be true to what we believe and authentic at all times. Linnell is watching on Twitter. She says, for Meg's family, it's like renovating your house while you're living in it. We all know someone who rents at City Walk while they take their house down to the studs. It's not cheap, but it's more comfortable while the, working is, while the work is getting done. That's a hell of an analogy hmm. for what she's doing. Great tweet. I mentioned this live on air. I'll read Linnell's again on Twitter. For Meg's family, it's like renovating your house while you're living in it. We all know someone who rents at City Walk while they take their home down to the studs. It's not cheap, but it's more comfortable while the work is getting done, the remodeling project. She's basically, that's a metaphor. She's challenging the establishment, ACPS, Dr. Haas, the current school board, and the way they're doing business of running a school, which the KPIs, the key performance indicators, are suggesting the established way of running ACPS is not working. Violence, drug use, bus driver shortage, kids late to school, kids late home, black and brown students severely underperforming, quality of life in the hallways, the cafeteria, the classroom, suffering, cell phone use rampant, Sexual assaults, prevalent. 
Over $18,000 in average per student when you consider capital improvements. That's how much are being spent per student. You got basically an in-state UVA education being spent on each kid from, a, from a, an average standpoint. And this is the performance you're getting. Catherine J. Peters Finn. I've never read your name before on the show. I believe you're a first-time commenter. I love first-time commenters. Catherine J. Peters Finn says, the Albemarle GOP, a.k.a. ACRC as a party, has historically not chosen or funded any local candidates. Is there any new information that the local party, not individuals, has given money to any particular candidates? Catherine, the chairman of the Albemarle County Republican Party, John Lowry, funds candidates. It's public record. John Lowry has given money to Harvey. John Lowry has given money to Bryce. They fund candidates. I don't, and I, I, I'm not going to regret saying this because I have to be true to myself. The infrastructure for the Almore County Republican Committee, the ARACRC, the Albemarle GOP, the infrastructure is not there when compared to their counterparts on the Democratic side. It is not there. It is not nearly as robust. And until that changes, you're going to have a one-party stranglehold in one of the most affluent counties in the Commonwealth. Carol Thorpe, the Queen of Jack Jewett. Jerry, you know that I rarely miss watching a city council meeting, but I did this week. Apparently someone brought up an incident that occurred at Market Street Park that, that what alluded to in a cryptic matter in a press release by the Charlottesville Police Department. Do you know if this was related to what is fast becoming Seville's new tent city popping up there? You know well my history fighting the last one. The last one she fought, she's part of the Tea Party. I believe she was the chairwoman of the Tea Party, was Occupy Charlottesville. She continues by saying this. During Occupy Charlottesville, the police were called down there daily with complaints of drunkenness, sexual assault, theft, and drug use. Chief Cautious was not there then, but he will learn fast how ugly this will get if Tent City is allowed at Market Street Park. She also says, there is a park curfew. I wonder if, as during... Occupy Charlottesville City Council might be discouraging police from enforcing the curfew out of economic empathy or political sympathy. Who knows? I can offer perspective on this. We talked about this last week and on Monday on the I Love Seville show, the platform of record for a 300,000-person market. And after talking about it on Friday and Monday, Judah, on our platform and our show, it became part of the lexicon and the vocabulary and the conversation during the last city council meeting. And now police are enforcing the curfew of Tent City, Market Street Park. Hmm. Just like we insisted, asked respectfully, that the curfew be enforced. That was done earlier this week and end of last week. We said Tent City is manifesting, it's growing, it's gaining momentum at one of the most visible parks is this the most visible park in the city of Charlottesville? What is the most visible park in the city of Charlottesville, viewers and listeners? I seriously have that question. What is the most visible park in the city of Charlottesville, viewers and listeners? McIntyre. What? McIntyre. Is it? Is it? 
What is the most visible, known park in the city of Charlottesville? Is the most visible, known park in the city of Charlottesville not Lee Park, Emancipation Park, Freedom Park, Market Street Park, Tent City? It's the most prevalent park at the most important area of Charlottesville, the downtown mall, the heartbeat of the city, eight blocks that are part of the brand image of Charlottesville, Virginia? Is it Washington Park on Preston Avenue? Star Hill Park, Tonsler Park? I can make a legitimate argument that the most visible and most known park in the city of Charlottesville is Lee Park, Freedom Park, Emancipation Park, Market Street Park, 10th City. Viewers and listeners, your thoughts. Put them in the feed. Put them in the feed. Put them in the feed. I will mention them live on air. Jason Howard on Rio Road. Maybe the school board isn't a political position until you put forward an opinion that the rest of the board or the superintendent don't agree with. Truth. Once you get people disagreeing with you, then you get labeled. And the reason you get labeled is because those who disagree want to take you down. And the easiest way to take someone down is to utilize tactics like John Blair's highlighted in the past, Barack Hussein Obama. Meg Scalia. Bryce. Your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, on the I Love Seville show. Ginny Hu. More people drive by and see McIntyre on a daily basis than the park formerly known as Lee. Foot traffic is another story, however. I mentioned this live on air. McIntyre Park has more people driving by it than the park formerly known as Lee. But McIntyre Park does not have a shopping, dining, entertainment Live music district next to it. Nor does McIntyre Park have the court systems next to it. Nor does McIntyre Park have the hedge funds and the family offices next to it. Nor does McIntyre Park have the police station next to it. Nor does McIntyre Park have the most important eight blocks in a 10.2 square mile city next to it. Viewers and listeners, your thoughts. Put them in the feed. What's going on through that big, beautiful brain of yours, Judah? Jump in here anywhere you want to go. I see what you're saying about the, about, uh, uh, what's the name of the park? The actual name? I'm not sure what you're talking about. Okay. Um, Market Street Park? Yeah. What we're yeah. talking about? Yeah, I don't see it getting... Uh, Reg- I, Regina I mean, Dodd says people. Market Street Park. Clear cut. Go ahead. Hmm. I still think uh, a lot of the people coming to the downtown mall aren't seeing the park unless they're parking across the street from it in the parking lot. 
but uh, who knows? Show's on fire right now. I'm trying to respond to comments while hosting the show. Uh, Catherine J. Peters Finn, two comments in one day. This is the first time, it's a first time commenter right here. Catherine J. Peters Finn, welcome to the family. Your comments appreciated. Welcome. Your perspective, please keep them coming. Share the gospel, share the show. She says, I don't disagree with you, Jerry. Notably, an individual who heads a committee giving money to individual candidates doesn't mean that the committee itself is giving money or volunteer support to anyone. She's talking about John Lowry, the head of the Republican Party of Almar County. It does not mean that the committee helps someone learn how to campaign, gives them seed money, campaign know-how, etc., etc., etc. There's no feeder for people who campaign. People step forward on the Republican side without party support. They spend, the, they spend their own time and money. They have to reinvent the wheel every time and do with little or no assistance. That's certainly the way things were up through 2016. I don't know if that's still the way they are, but I'm 100% sure that's the way it was happening through the year 2016. I will say this, Catherine J. Peters Finn. I was in at least a dozen meetings in 2022 and in 2023 with the Almar County Republican Party at least a dozen meetings. Meetings hosted on the hotel at West Main Street in the conference room, the one across from the Amtrak station. Meetings hosted at Farmington Country Club, the Borshead Resort in the mill room, Farmington in the dining room, or at Three Notch Brewing Company. Those were all the meetings I was at were hosted. Farmington's dining room, the grill, the Farmington Grill, Three Notch at X Park, the Mill Room at Borshead, or the hotel conference room across from the Greyhound Station. The Greyhound Station, I said Amtrak earlier. The Greyhound Station, that new hotel right there on the corner. And in those meetings, the decision makers, the rainmakers for the party, were offering guidance by bringing in outside people to offer campaign strategy and advice offering guidance on door knocking and providing volunteers for door knocking and prospecting votes, offering strategies on how to fundraise properly, and looking to partner with yours truly and the I Love Seville show for visibility. The chitter chatter at one time was ticket because of our reach and our platform that never materialized. The reason it never materialized in large part is because the, a higher power, the stars did not, did not align for my family unit with our youngest going seven months without sleeping through the night. Can't be more straightforward than that. And I don't think I've ever shared information like that on this show before. I mentioned this lie. And that's why you guys listen to the show. Because you know I'm, I'm going to cut through the crap. Viewers and listeners, put your comments in the feed. Catherine J. Peters Finn, you are always welcome on this program to talk and comment. Seriously, keep bringing it. Spread the gospel. Let's go to the work work from home uh, movement. Bloomberg. Linnell says the most, before I get there, Linnell on Twitter says the most significant park, wow, is the lawn. 
Interestingly, Linnell, the lawn, and UVA are in Almoro County. So that is not the city of Charlottesville. She says the least visible is Darden Tal Park. Plenty of secluded parking lots and no street lighting. The lawn is Almoro County, not the city of Charlottesville. Warrior AG says McIntyre uh, Park does have the YMCA that draws people in from all, all the local uh, counties. And don't forget the draw of the skate park and great walking path around McIntyre Park. That's a vote for McIntyre Park. I'm retweeting, uh, I'm quote tweeting Warrior AG. Damn good comment. I mentioned this live on air. Albert Graves dropping dimes. Linnell, I'm responding to, to Linnell's tweet. Uh, the lawn is technically in Almoro County and not the city of Charlottesville, VA. I was at a, a squash championship on Monday at the Boar's Head. And I was told the UVA, the UVA Foundation routinely is live streaming and listening to the I Love Seville show to hear the dimes and the knowledge that Judah Wickhauer is dropping on this program. It's interesting. Carol Thorpe, Market Street Park can be almost wholly seen from your car while passing. In my opinion, it's central location to so many vital city entities. In addition to this visual transparency, make it the most important park in the city of Charlottesville. I agree. I agree with this comment. I 100% agree. 110% agreed. I mentioned this live on air. Let's get to the work from home movement. Yesterday's show, are we on a two shot? Yesterday's show featured the chief people officer and the general counsel from Silverchair. Mm -hmm. It featured the co-founder and vice president of Insight 222, Dirk Peterson, my friend, Lily Walton of Silverchair, and Caleb Nelson, a business intelligence engineer at Amazon. They champion the work from home, work remotely movement. And they championed it because they are in very much HR roles where they have to listen to their team members and what their team members want. They handled all questions with effortless ease, except for one. Except for one. Where the cat caught their tongue. And that question, Judah, was when I asked them, do you realize that the work from home, work remotely movement is gutting and devastating downtown shopping, dining, entertainment, happy hour, live music districts that rely on humans being in the towers we call office buildings. They were at a loss for words there. Well, I don't really think there's a good answer to that. You can't ask one industry to completely ignore their, um, their impulses to help another industry, can you? Don't we rely on industries helping other, in other industries all the time? Maybe in some ways, but... You, Don't we rely on the UVA being the economic driver of the city of Charlottesville? Don't we rely on real estate being an economic driver for regions everywhere? 
Don't we rely on the banking sector to fund small business growth and expansion? Don't we rely on private equity to help supercharge businesses? The Blue Ridge Venture Fund, find it online, blueridgeventurefund.com, supercharge your business. City of Charlottesville and Central Virginia prides itself in locals supporting locals. Does the work from home movement, is it the antithesis of locals supporting locals? No, I don't think you're, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an even, uh, those, those statements aren't even that one, like when I'm talking about getting the, getting an industry to change or ignore their impulse to keep another industry alive, we're not just talking about the industry, we're talking about the people that work in it. Like you're not asking people in banks to do something different or go against what the banks want them to do but here we're talking about people who there's no reason for a lot of these people to be in offices and I think that's what they came to talk about there's there are people that can do the work that they need to do from home they don't need to uh, especially today with house prices skyrocketing and uh, and high and high mortgage rates now people can live anywhere. Somebody, somebody working a job that, that doesn't need to go into the office in Charlottesville doesn't need, to, doesn't need to balance the problems of buying an expensive house or living far enough away and you know what is the cost going to be on uh, upkeep for the car and gas. Well, here's what's going to happen. And then I'm going to get to your comments. Deathroat, I'll get to your comments. Employers are going to start doing this. You want to work from home? You need to provide us your physical address where you live. And we're going to base what we pay you on the cost of living in that respective locality. You really think they're, they're already do doing it? Do the research. I follow it closely. Employers are already cutting wages on remote workers who are choosing not to live in the city of the headquarters. You want to live in Charlottesville? Our headquarters is in San Francisco. You want to work remotely? Fine. We're going to cut your pay and it's going to be tied to the median income in the city of Charlottesville and not that of San Francisco or Manhattan or Northern Virginia. It's already happening. All right. I'm going to ask this question and then I'll get to comments. And before I ask this question, I'm going to read this according to Bloomberg, Judah Wickhauer. The top work-from-home metros in 2022. It's a bar graph. I'm showing it on screen. I'm literally reading it from my phone. You can find this on Bloomberg. The top work-from-home metros in 2022. Boulder. The percentage of employed residents who work primarily from home. Boulder is number one at 32%. The Alston, Round Rock, Georgetown, Texas area is second at 28%. San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, third at 27%. Raleigh, Cary, North Carolina, fourth, 26.1%. Washington, Arlington, Alexandria, fifth, 25%. Seattle, Tacoma, Bellevue, 25%. San Jose, 
Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, California, 24.4%. Bend, Oregon, 24.2%. Denver, Aurora, Lakewood, 23.7%. Then you got Portland, Vancouver, Hillsboro, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Charlotte, Concord, Gastonia. Charlottesville is not on this list. Here's my take, and then we'll get to your comments. Because of the dominant nature of the University of Virginia as an employer in central Virginia, the number one employer in Charlottesville, Albemarle County, and central Virginia is the university and its many subsidiaries, health system, athletics, foundation, McIntyre, all the various schools, the cafeterias, the supply chain that services UVA from subcontractors. UVA and its board of visitors are adamant about in-person learning and preserving their profit centers tied to in-person activity. We learned about this as the Board of Visitors had in a fight with Helen Dragas, the chairwoman of one time, the Virginia Beach developer and businesswoman, trying to assimilate, there's that word, Coursera, online learning, into how UVA went about its curriculum. Former President Teresa Sullivan said, not so fast, my friends, in the words of Lee Corso. And she said, we don't want Coursera, we want the college experience of in-person learning. And this Coursera online learning versus in-person learning led to the eventual demise of Terry Sullivan as the president of UVA and brought us Jim Ryan, the president of UVA. Jim Ryan appears to be a much better uh, presidential politician than Terry Sullivan was. John Castine was the gold standard. This dude knew how to play the presidential politics game of leading a school, and that's why he led, he, he, he stayed on Cars Hill for so long. UVA is so effing focused on the in-person experience that Charlottesville will never, I don't think, be on a list like this where Boulder's got 32% of its residents working from home all the way down from Nashville, Davidson, Murfreesboro, Franklin, Tennessee at 19.4%. I also think I'm going to make a statement that's going to piss some people off, okay? Are we on a two-shot? Yeah. The work-from-home movement, even the hybrid movement, will cause the demise, the destruction, the depression, the demoralization of locally-owned businesses like Bagby's, like Blue Ridge Country Store, for example. Bagby's and Blue Ridge Country Store are open only in daytime hours. I don't think either one of, are, are either of those open on the weekend? If so, it's very limited hours. How can these locally owned businesses who set up shop for decades around towers that hosted people and work setting from an eight to six 
movement, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., how can they survive if no one's in those towers? I'm not saying you're wrong. Will work from home be the gut, eviscerate, bazooka, locally owned businesses into smithereens? Yeah. Fair question. Viewers and listeners, thoughts on the feed? Deep Throat says this. He's inclined to agree with you, Judah. Are you ready for this? Mayor Adams telling people you have to come back to the towers because the hot dog vendor is suffering seems kind of backwards to me. That's my point. It's probably easier to find a new job for the hot dog vendor, particularly given the major environmental benefits of people not commuting to towers five days a week. Yeah, I agree. He also says, by the way, Charlottesville, with the work from home change from 2019 to 2021, it was very low. 11% 11% before, 20% after. The reason is because the University of Virginia, UVA is not going to allow its staffers to work from home. And they're the top employer in this community. That's an element that's being missed. Work from home will gut your neighbor's business. Yeah. And when we're left with nothing but big box brands with the cash money on their balance sheet to survive the work from home movement, I don't want anyone saying, boo hoo hoo, what happened to my steak and cheese sandwich? That's not going to be the only thing that, uh, that brings the big box brands in here. Well, and you know it. One of the primary things. Let's go to their website, Bagby's, Charlottesville. Let's check out their hours. Bagby's, Charlottesville. These are their hours. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Closed on Saturdays and Sundays. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Closed on Saturdays and Sundays. How's that going to work? If there's no one in the towers working around the downtown mall. Let's go to Blue Ridge Country Store. Blue Ridge Country Store. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Closed on Saturdays and Sundays. How's that going to work? If no one's in the towers in the downtown mall. How's that going to work? Anyone. How's that going to work? You want me to answer it for him? Or you want to answer it for him? Go ahead. It's not going to work. Ginny Hu on Twitter. A problem our family and others encountered when people were forced to work from home is that many employers no longer seem to understand work hours. They felt free to contact employees at all hours. Parameters need to be set for remote workers. I'm going to quote, retweet that. If only. Strong comment. I'm going to tell you this right now. 
You want to work from home and work remotely? And let's say you work from home and you work remotely. And you produce at a 95 out of 100% clip. An A-level clip, Judo, okay? You're performing 95% out of 100 at your job. Your counterpart or your colleague is also performing at a 95 out of 100% clip, but they're doing it in person right next to their boss's cubicle. Their boss determines where the promotion's gonna happen for the remote hybrid worker or the in-person worker, both performing at the same level. The in-person cubicle decides to go to happy hour two or three days a month or to lunch two, three a day, two or three days a month or to walk around the downtown mall with a cup of joe from Java Java or the Mud House. Java Java's clothes. Call it the Mud House or Grit. Who do you think that boss is going to promote? It's called human connection. Human connection is as much of a part of promotion as it is performance. And anyone who says otherwise is not reading the tea leaves correctly. Bosses promote people they like as much as people that perform well. It's called office politics. All right. I've got to get to the next topic. Tony Elliott's hot seat. I'm going to get to three more topics, and then I'm going to read your comments live on air. Go to a one-shot. Look at the screen, ladies and gentlemen, for the topics we're going to cover. Look at the screen right now. Look at the screen right now. Here are the topics we're going to cover. Look at the screen right now. Tony Elliott's seat is so hot right now. And if Tony Elliott and Virginia football get smoked and blitzcragged by NC State on national TV on a Friday night, The seat is going to be burning hot. The man has won three games. And I would argue Tony Elliott is trading on the goodwill of how he handled a mass murder last year. He handled that circumstance, that terrible, terrible mass murder, incredibly well. Incredibly well. But that goodwill fades and is forgotten fast. And eventually, it comes down to dollars and cents and butts and seats and the brand that is UVA. And nothing is more recognizable for the brand that is UVA than its football team who is playing its games on national television because the media needs a narrative to tell when calling a college football game and they're exploiting the narrative, the storyline of a mass murder. It's been a part of every game this season and it will be a part of the game on Friday night. It's no coincidence UVA football is getting nationally televised ball games. 
It's not because they're good. They won three games last year, and they were picked to finish dead last in the Atlantic Coast Conference this year. They're getting nationally televised games, the marquee slots, because the media national wants to exploit the storyline of a mass murder. And eventually, the goodwill accrued, the equity accrued from how he managed and handled this mass murder will fade and be forgotten. You can't lose a million dollars a home football game. And I can assure you, there's small business owners all over the city of Charlottesville, Albemarle County, and Central Virginia that want this football team performing well because it invigorates their business six, seven, eight times a year. Nine and a half point favorites, the NC State Wolfpack. And you got Brennan Armstrong, a record setting UVA quarterback, coming to Scott Stadium to make a statement. And you got Robert Anine, who had a bitter divorce with UVA, coming back to Charlottesville and Scott Stadium to make a statement. Mark it down. I'm not saying the Wolfpack are going to win. I'm saying they're favored by nine and a half points. And I'm saying that hot seat's getting toasty. Two other topics before I get to your comments. Quickly. Have you ridden, have you driven or walked down High Street lately? The road is a cluster duck. Quack, 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 quack. It was already a hot mess with walking and the lack of, is the word contiguous sidewalks? Sure. You have bushes and shrubs and weeds and broken sidewalks and a lack of contiguous sidewalks on High Street. People couldn't walk down there. You had no bike lanes and cars legitimately hitting bikes and pedestrians. Hit and run cases in certain circumstances that made news here regionally. Now you got the actual road, the two lane roads on High Street that are landmines an aggregation of potholes. The most underappreciated, undervalued, underperforming corridor in the city of Charlottesville has worsened right before our eyes. And it's pitiful. Something should be done about it. Final question, we've Judah in on a two-shot. What should be done with Wild Wing Cafe? If you had all the money in the world, Actually, let's, let's be realistic. If you got the approval of bi-coastal attorney Alan Kajin, the owner of Wild Wing Cafe Building, one of the most influential and powerful landlords in the, in, uh, in the Charlottesville city, Chaz Webster does a lot of his comings and goings as Alan Kajin enjoys time in San Francisco, Hawaii, or the city of Charlottesville the partner of the late, great Gabe Silverman. If you got the green light to run a business out of the Wild Wing Cafe building, what would it be, Judah Wickhauer? That's a good question. I would... Um, I'm an artist. I'd probably put an art center in there. Something for... Uh, put some, an art center? Yeah, something for kids. Something for uh, kids and adults. Um, I'd have to give it some more thought. 
Keep talking to me. Okay. Um, be a place where kids could come and uh, learn art skills. Uh, they could keep them busy, keep them busy after school. A uh, place for uh, teaching, learning. Um, How does that place make money? It's not what you asked. Well, you got to pay the rent. You said you had all the money in the world. I, then I change it. If you got the approval from Alan Kajin, you, you, can't, you can't just do something that can't pay the bills. Okay. Well, then let someone else do it. What would you do to pay the bills in that place to be a business person? You're asking me to come up with a business plan right now? I mean, it's a talk show. I'm not. A, I've never created a business plan, Jerry. You know that. We're just having a conversation. I know. Right. And I gave you my answer, and now you want me to change it and give you a. All right. Here's the plan. first thing I would do: is I would take a massive commercial building, where price per square feet determines the monthly rent, and I would chop it down. The space is entirely too large for a restaurant in 2023 to survive. It is arguably one of the largest restaurant spaces in the city of Charlottesville, if not the largest. What is larger than Wild Wing Cafe from a space standpoint? Maybe three-notched? Maybe? Maybe Boylan Heights on the corner? Maybe? And I would still say Wild Wing is, is probably larger than both. I would say, Alan, Mr. Kajin, you're known to be litigious as a landlord, and you want your money. Every month on the first. And this is going to be a five, seven, or ten year lease with some personal guarantees and a four, five, six percent escalator every year and an upfront security deposit that's non refundable in the vicinity of probably 20, 20, 20 25,000 with very little build out allowance. All of them are done this way. I literally have this conversation with a client right now. Landlords have the power because they own the land. They allocate. Hot take here, folks. What's that? Hot take. It's not a hot take. That's hence my sarcasm. Well, I thought you just said you didn't know the business side of things. Well, okay. Continue. I'm just trying to make sure we're on the same page here. Yeah. Which page are we on? Uh, due to business or due to no business? I mean, it's not a hot take. That's why I was being sarcastic. I was having the conversation with my client who didn't know it. What's that? I was having this conversation with my client who needed some encouraging about this. Okay. Chop the space down. Make it smaller. Chop it down. Make it smaller. Take the space, turn it into a food hall of some capacity, kind of synonymous with dairy market, where you have multiple vendors in there to hedge your risk. You could cater to the farmer's market vendors and give them a permanent slip, basically the executive office space of food and beverage. Small slips short terms 
approachable rents, encouraging and fostering the F&B entrepreneurial ecosystem that is Charlottesville in Central Virginia. You can have live music there. You got parking there. You got massive space for seven, eight, nine, ten more venues, vendors. In its current form, it will not be rented. Wilson Ritchie took the downtown grill and chopped it up. You got the Bebedero and you got Rockfish and what was formerly the downtown grill. Maybe you can persuade a brewery to open a location there. Maybe. But I think you're at a saturation point when it comes to breweries in this community. Getting snippy is part of the show, ladies. Until that space is chopped up, it's not going to rent. And maybe he's going to have to take some money out of pocket to chop it up. But it's just sitting vacant right now. And it's in a key spot with parking and a central location, a train station, and right in between the corner and the downtown mall. So it shouldn't be vacant. Anything you want to throw in there? No. You could do your art thing if you want. Sure. The art could be on the walls, and it could be a pro bono charitable component where you partner with an art nonprofit that can have its art on the walls that capitalizes on the foot traffic that comes in and out of the space. Right now, in its current form, it's not going to be rented. And it was the first one to close during the pandemic. This space has been closed for three years. Think about that. This space, Wild Wing Cafe, has been closed for three years. What other space can you think of in the city of Charlottesville that's been closed for this long in a Class A space? Genuine question. Um, no idea. Anyone? Trevinia is in Almoral County, Stonefield. That's Class A. Anyone? Judy McMullen said, I thought about it for a hot minute, but it was too large for my needs. She's going to bring a pool hall back to market. That'd be cool. You're talking one of the most primo pieces of real estate that's been closed for over three years. The first restaurant of notoriety to close during COVID. Kajin's going to have to chop that up. Alan, I know you listen to the show. I don't mind your art idea. I just don't think the art idea can make any money. Okay. That wasn't the question, though. Even nonprofits have to make money. Sure. That's how they like, pay the, the rent. But I think the art idea could be a good component with 
the various slips. There's a reason dairy market, uh, Sony Point went that road because they're hedging their risk by having a number of different tenants. So when Angelique's closes, they still got a handful of other ones to keep it on online. Closing thoughts, show is yours, anywhere you want to go. Oh, man. Um, well, <clears throat> I still don't think that uh, having, the, uh, having the workers stay in office is uh, just, because, just because you need to, uh, to save restaurants. I'm, you know, I, at some point, like the, uh, like the panel members on yesterday's show, enough C-suite executives are going to say, look, the lease is out on, on our offices, and maybe we're better off scaling down, letting people work from home. And at that point, restaurants and downtown spaces like this are going to have to pivot. I don't know that there's any way around it, and wishing it wasn't so isn't going to change it. Michael Buchensky says, open a trade school to teach kids electrical, plumbing, handyman work. That I would think be a good trade too. school would crush it. I actually had this conversation with one of my tenants about his dream to open a trade school in the area. The problem is the trade school idea, which I think would absolutely crush it in this community. Like, can you imagine an individual or a team that has the top funnel infrastructure in place of a call center, accounting, human resources, trucks and vehicles and equipment, all the infrastructure for the top of the funnel that's in the trades, remodeling, electrical, plumbing, skilled craftsmanship, roofing, all funneling all the leads through the one call center, then opening up a trade school where it creates free tuition or subsidized tuition for labor to learn the trade that it needs for its vertically integrated empire. That is a genius effing idea. That would crush it here. Because all the people in the trades are dying. They're old. And the young people in the trades, I saw this on CNBC. This was on CNBC. 57%, you'll appreciate this, Judah. 57% of Gen Zers, you know what they think they can be? I'll give you the exact number. I'll put this link in my comment section of my personal Facebook page. 57% of Gen Zers said they can do this. What do you think it is? 57% of Gen Zers said they would do this? Professionally. What do you think it is? Said they would do this professionally. Uh, can do this or want to do this type of work professionally. I'm stumped. Uh, if I had to make a guess... Uh, Social media influencer. Social media influencer. 57% oh. 
of Gen Zers. Do you have the generational graph? Yeah. Gen Zers. Yeah. Let's look at the Gen Zers are the age after millennial. Let us know when that's on screen. It's on screen. It's on screen. What is the age range for Gen Zers? Uh, to 1997 to 2012. 1997 to 2012. So that's like what? 20, uh, 26 to, I mean. 90, 2012, they would be 21. 97 would make them 26. 21 to 26. Yeah. <clears throat> 57%. Think they would want to be social media influencers? Well, everybody's got dreams. There's one social media influencer that's making a professional living in a 300,000 person market, and that's the I Love Seville Network. Those are your odds. One brand or influencer in a 300,000 person market is making a living. He's got a mortgage, Judah. I got a mortgage and a one-income family for a family of two kids and a wife. One team and 300,000 people are being social media influencers professionally. And 57% of Gen Zers think they can do it or want to do it. That puts things in perspective. You have better odds of being a professional athlete than being a social media influencer. That's the snippy Wednesday edition of the I Love Seville Show. Judah Woodcower, Jerry Miller, the I Love Seville Show presented by Skuma Boutique Dispensary, the number one dispensary in the city of Charlottesville. It's located in the downtown mall and it's locally owned and operated by David Trecarici with certificates of analyses for everything in the store. We champion the Charlottesville Police Department and we encourage you to be the change you want to see by joining the Charlottesville Police Department. We give some serious props to Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine for changing people's lives. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner's got your back. And check out the Blue Ridge Venture Fund, baby. It's effing exploding. BlueRidgeVentureFund.com. Supercharge your business today. Judah Wickower, Jerry Miller. We'll see you tomorrow at 1230. Take care.